Heavenly Father, the words that we have just sung are indeed the prayer of our hearts. Would we confess that Christ is Lord? Not in an abstract way, not in a theoretical way, but for us, that he is our Lord, he is our Savior, that the grace of the gospel has changed us today, and so we are able to gather and sing great praises to your name. Now come, Lord, and answer the prayer we have just sung. Show us, Christ, in these moments we wish to see Jesus, and pray that your Spirit would be with us to make it so in his perfect name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You've joined us this morning as we're about halfway through a series on prayer. And we're at that section in our series when we're reflecting on how to pray. We're looking at some of the sort of the practical side of this question. What do you do when you actually sit down and, and begin to pray to the Lord? And our text this morning is going to be very helpful on that topic. Jesus is the one who came and, and lived amongst us. He is the only God who has splinters in his hands. He's the only God who knows what it's like to be us. And so he gives us very practical advice on how we should pray. And in the text, we're going to see the counsel he has for us on the the time that we pray, the place that we pray, the tone that we pray with, and indeed the very content of our prayers. Four tools, if you like, to aid us in prayer. But before we get to them, we need to stop and remember where we've come in our series so far, because the flow of this series has not been accidental. We've not just picked a kind of number of topics on prayer and kind of slapped them into each week. We're, we're being very intentional to order this series so that we don't get the cart before the horse. How did we start? We started our series on prayer by talking about the gospel, by talking about the fact that prayer is a gospel reality that we can't even begin to think about it, let alone practice it, unless we have come to know Jesus Christ. Because the only way we dare approach God is by the blood of Jesus. Were it not for this grace, were it not for this gospel, we wouldn't presume to begin to talk to a perfect, holy God. It is only when this gospel becomes a reality in your experience, when you realize that God created you to be in relationship with him, but that we have gone our own way and fallen far from him and sinned in too many ways to list or even imagine, and yet by his grace he has pursued us to drag us back into relationship with him that we might receive forgiveness full and free, the gospel of Jesus. Know this gospel Know this grace, and we can begin to pray. And so it's so important, before we think of the tools, to start by emphasizing the gospel. Now you might be saying, James, you've started every sermon in this series by emphasizing the gospel, and guess what I'm going to do next week, okay? Guess. The context and the punchline, gospel, Jesus, is the same every single week, okay? That's what it's about. Amen, indeed. Amen, indeed. It's only in light of the gospel that we begin to reflect upon um, the tools of prayer. And I feel perhaps a a special, I mean, I always feel that burden, perhaps a special burden this morning, because I just want to make sure that, that, that we are only using these tools in light of hearts that are changed by grace. The tools themselves are are kind of worthless, they're kind of meaningless. Um, You know, a couple weeks ago I shared I'm one of the least practical people ever, right? Um, Do you know how many tools I have in my garage? Loads, right? Do you know how many I use? (laughs) 
completely different question. Very few. Why? I have the tools, but I don't have, a, I don't know, the heart for DIY, right? Um, and so they're tools that just go, go unused, they go wasted, they go left. I don't want the tools that Jesus gives us to be that way. I don't want the tools, the practical tools that our Savior gives us to be left unused. So if we're to use them, ground in the gospel, ground in grace. From there, we move to look at these tools. And I hope that today is just going to be really practical, really helpful, very earthy in the sense that Jesus is teaching is so practical and helpful and earthy. So let's look at these four tools he gives us to help us in our prayer lives. The first tool really centers on the time that we pray. It's in the category of of time. And it's simply this, that we as a people should pray regularly. We should pray regularly. Where do we see this in the text? Well, really at the start of each verse. Look down with me at verse 5. You see what Jesus says? He says, when you pray. Verse 6. How does verse 6 open? When you pray. Verse 7. How does verse 7 open? When you pray. What is the assumption here from Jesus? The assumption is that you pray. He doesn't say, you know, if you pray. He says, when you pray. For Jesus, prayer is the kind of natural, normal activity of everyone that would follow him. You know, when you sleep, when you eat, when you breathe, when you pray. It's a normal thing for the believer to be about. It's a normal thing for a believer to pray. Now, if we're to actually get into this discipline, if we're actually to get into kind of regular prayer, in many ways, practically, discipline is going to be the key word. For us to have a regular prayer life, we're really going to have to have a disciplined prayer life. Now, the second you say the word discipline, people give you all sorts of different reactions. Let me tell you two of the wrong reactions we get to this term discipline. The first term is from those who basically would say, uh, you, you don't need to have discipline in the Christian life. And if you're one of these people who sort of goes with the flow, if you're one of these people who likes to play it by ear, if you're one of these people who's spontaneous, you know, you'll sometimes hear people saying things that sound kind of pious and, and sound almost right, where they'll say, you know, my, my walk with the Lord, it's a relationship with him. It's not a thing I schedule, it's not a thing I plan. I'm just like led by the Spirit in the way that I navigate my, my, my faith. And we say, well, okay, be led by the Spirit, but the Spirit has told us in the Word that you should be disciplined about how you pray. Right? Um, that yes, it, it's, there's no contrast, there's no distinction by saying be Spirit-led and also be disciplined. It's, it's naive to think that you don't need any sort of routine, that you don't need any sort of schedule. On the other hand, though, you'll get people who, when the term discipline comes up, will take an equal and opposite reaction, and probably a reaction that's more typical in a, a DC crowd like us. If you like to make lists... If you like to check things off, if you like to meet deadlines, it's easy for you to think, I am going to have a great walk with the Lord through the power of Excel, right? I'm going to chart out my Bible readings, I'm going to chart out my prayer requests, I'm going to check them all off, I'm going to get it all done, 15 minutes a day, done, boom. One day I was so efficient I got it done in 14 minutes, as if the plan is to pray less, you know, because you're so efficient, right? There's just sort of this sense of like discipline becoming a legalism that you practice because you think that will be the key to relationship with God. The gospel always comes, and it doesn't give you middle ground, it just gives you a third option. Okay? So it's not that we would 
have no category of discipline. It's not that we would think discipline is our only hope. Rather, we just understand that Jesus calls us again and again and again. Here's a simple thing. To make time for those things you prioritize. Make time for those things you prioritize. And so, look, even in a busy area like ours, we're all busy, we've all got, we've all got a lot going on, but you know, we all make time to do those things we really want to do. <laughs> How many times this week did I not eat lunch? Zero times. How many times in 33 years did I not eat lunch? <laughs> okay? Pretty much zero times. Why? Because I prioritize lunch. Okay? That's important to me. Okay? And so, yeah, somehow, amidst all the busyness and craziness of everything, I make time to make sure that happens. And so it is for, for all of us. We make time for those things that we prioritize. And Jesus, in saying, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, is highlighting for us that prayer should be a regular thing that we do. And so, if it's not, perhaps it's a discipline that we need to grow in. As practical as I can be on this is to say that we should all have a time in our day on the calendar that we've set aside to be with the Lord. Now, I don't think it matters particularly when that time is. <clears throat> you know, if you're a kind of early riser up with the sun, then you find that the morning is kind of when you're most alert. Great, do it then. If, if you're a night owl and when other people are going to sleep, you start waking up. Great, do it then. The point isn't when you do it. The point is that you have that time. Time that's so targeted, so intentional that it's actually on your calendar. If someone were to say, hey, can you do this at such and such a time? You'd say, no, I have an appointment. Because you do. You do. You have an appointment with the Lord. Time that is set aside to make sure that we are prioritizing the things that matter most. Pray, Jesus says, regularly. Second thing we say, see after praying regularly is Jesus tells us we should also pray privately. When it comes to time, we should pray regularly. When it comes to place, we should pray privately. This comes to us in verses 5 and 6 where he contrasts the hypocrites with how he wants his disciples to be. And he says, you know, don't be like those hypocrites who do what? They stand up in the synagogue and they stand on the street corners and they pray so that everyone can see them pray. Jesus says, they've already received their reward in full. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, the reason they did this, the reason they prayed, was so that they'd be recognized by other people. And so, in being recognized, they've already received everything they wanted to get out of this process. They've received their reward in full. Instead, Jesus says, don't be like them. Be like a man, how practical is this? Who goes into his room, closes his door, and prays. Why do we pray privately? At least a couple of reasons. First, Jesus tells us so that we won't be self-righteous about our prayers. That we won't be self-righteous about our prayers. Has this happened to you where a week goes by and you prayed with your family at the dinner table and you prayed at small group and you didn't pray another time all week? If we set a clock watch on how much you prayed in public and how much you prayed in private, we would see a disparity there that you find yourself only praying when you sort of need to because other people are watching. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like the hypocrites who do that. Second reason, we don't want to be self-righteous, but also secondly, it's just practical. Okay? It's just, we pray in private so that we'll be distraction-free 
I don't know about you when, when you pray, but for me, um, I have enough internal distractions. You know, I start to pray, and then my mind just start, has a hard time focusing. I start thinking about, like, the email I need to send, or the, you know, <clears throat> person I need to meet with, or the fact that it's nearly lunchtime, or various things just start clouding into my brain, and I start losing track of my prayer. And that's just internal. So Jesus says, hey, you're going to have enough internal distractions without having to mess with external distractions. Internal distractions are going to make it hard. Add to that external and it will be deadly. Add to that the noise of the TV and the child crying and all that can be going on in your home. And you're just, you're just not, you're not going to get it done practically. So he says, pray, pray privately. And so again, just to be as, as practical as I can be, where is that place for you? Where is that place that you can go to pray privately? Perhaps it is, like Jesus says, your room. Go in, close the door. Perhaps it's the office when you arrive first thing in the morning. Perhaps, I know for my wife, it's actually our car. She drops our kids off and she knows she has 30 minutes, good chunk of time just to pray. Which I think is funny because in the car, she praises God and I curse men. Okay? Um, <clears throat> I know another friend who it's, you know, when they're, when they're running, it's when their mind is kind of free and they have space to pray. Where, where is that place for you? And, and please answer that in, in your heart and in your head. Because if we're to grow in this, this gift of prayer, we need to use these tools. You need to have a set time on your calendar for prayer. And you need to have a set place where you're going to be at that set time in order to Pray. Pray regularly. Pray privately. Third thing we see in our text, along with those two notions, is that we're also to pray thoughtfully. This is to do with the, the tone of our prayers. Pray thoughtfully. We see this really in verse 7 where Jesus talks to us about not um, storing up or building up empty phrases. King James will say, do not babble like the pagans do. Don't just sit down to pray and start going through the motions and using all the words without being thoughtful about what you're saying. Now, quick caveat here, get a little sidetrack for us. I'm not really trying to distinguish being thoughtful from being emotional. I'm really trying to distinguish being thoughtful from being thoughtless. And it's important to highlight that because in our circles especially, there can sometimes be a little bit of cynicism about prayer that's very emotional, prayer that's very intense. And uh, we would say, no, prayer that's emotional and prayer that's intense is a good thing. Prayer shouldn't be just a kind of Spock-like cerebral activity. It should be an activity that engages not just the mind but also the heart. So Psalm 62 verse 8, for example, will say, pour out your heart to the Lord. And indeed, even in our Reformed Presbyterian circles, this notion of having prayer that's emotional and intense has been an important part of our heritage. Let me give you three quotes from, from guys in our heritage who, who actually have a reputation for being severe, but actually really emphasize the importance of emotion in prayer. First of them, good old John Calvin, 16th century man famous for writing uh, the Christian the Institutes of the Christian Religion. He said, Unless voice and song and prayer, voice, song and prayer, spring forth from a deep feeling of the heart, none of them have any value or profit in the least with God. An interesting statement. Unless your voice, unless your singing, unless your prayers find their origin in the heart that's changed by grace, 
They're worthless to God. Secondly, John Owen, 17th century, a severe guy, famous for writing, um, uh, famous for uh, writing the um, great treatise, uh, The Mortification of the Flesh, and not a guy you necessarily associate with being touchy-feely or, you know, kind of guy who's going to give you a hug. He says, get an experience of the power of the gospel. Get an experience of the power of the gospel in and upon your own heart or all your profession is an expiring thing. Isn't that great? Again, he's saying, the truth that you will confess with your lips is good. But if it doesn't flow from a heart that's experienced the gospel, it's an expiring thing. It's, it's withering on the vine. It's worthless. Thirdly, lastly, John Murray. John Murray is a 20th century theologian. Uh, he was a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary. He was a doer Scottish guy who had a glass eye. And the students used to say that if you caught an expression of mercy on his face, it's because you were looking at his glass eye. (laughs) He said, it is necessary for us to recognize that there is, here's the phrase, an intelligent mysticism. Isn't that good? An intelligent mysticism in the life of faith. Jesus communes with his people and his people commune commune with him. The life of true faith, this is great, cannot be that of cold metallic ascent. It must have the passion and warmth of love and communion. So yeah, prayer is to be a very whole person thing, a thing that engages the heart. When I talk about praying thoughtfully, I'm not trying to contrast that with praying emotionally. Rather, when I talk about praying thoughtfully, I'm trying to contrast that with praying thoughtlessly. Praying thoughtlessly. And again, we know what that's like. Okay? You, you sit down, you start praying, you raffle through it, you say amen, you're done, you lift your head, and there's not really been a true engagement with the Lord. I'm not talking about have some nice flowery flip phrases and some ivory tower Presbyterianism. I'm saying this as simple as I can make it. Talk to God like he's a person. Because he is. Three persons, one God. A trinity that you are in relationship with a trinity that calls you to come and talk with him. And so as you would talk in, in any human relationship, go and approach the Lord as you really are and talk to him in that way. Pray thoughtfully. Thoughtfully. Last thing, having reflected upon the time of prayer regularly, um, at the place of prayer privately, the tone of our prayers thoughtfully. We also get advice from Jesus here on the, the content of our prayers. And the idea is that we should pray specifically. Pray specifically. When we get the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 through 13, it's important for us to understand that the Lord's Prayer isn't really a sort of... Uh, Jesus doesn't give it to us as an incantation that we should just repeat together. Remember, he's just said, do not heap up empty phrases. So he isn't now giving us this prayer that we're to, to, to heap up kind of mindlessly. Rather, it's, it's a model for prayer or an example of prayer that walks through different categories to show us how we should approach God in prayer ourselves. And it's actually a very specific prayer. Each verse really has a different target that Jesus is aiming for. If you look at verse 9, Jesus prays very specifically for, for God's honor. In verse 10, he prays specifically for God's kingdom. In the next verse, he prays specifically for God's provision. 
Verse after that, he prays very specifically for God's forgiveness. Verse after that, he prays very specifically for God's power in our lives. And so we get this model, this example of prayer that shows us uh, how we should pray specifically so that we ourselves can take that model and apply it in our own lives. Now this is such an important idea to to, to pray in in a detailed, specific way because it really keeps us out of two dangers that are very common in the Christian life. First danger, it's just that tendency in prayer to be really vague. And you can pray in a really vague way, and it actually sounds pretty good, you know? So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. Bless our kids today and enable us to walk in your will. Amen. That didn't sound too bad, right? But, okay, what, what aspect of his goodness am I grateful for? How do I actually want him to bless my kids? What things am I dealing with today that I actually need his help to follow his will? See, it's very easy to pray a prayer that if God answered it exactly how I prayed it, I don't know what he'd do. And so we need to move beyond that. God, I'm thankful this morning for these specific examples of your goodness to us. For the way in which you've done this. For the way in which you've done that. Lord, I need you to bless my kids in these special ways today. This one who's dealing with this, this one who's dealing with that. Lord, I've got things going on in my own life today that I'm going to need your help with. This meeting, that appointment, the next thing. Pray in a a detailed and, and specific way. And as you do that, you see how you're starting to engage heart and mind in relationship with God. I think the second reason it's so important to pray specifically is it stops us from being vague, but it also stops us from falling into just the classic Christian cliche and we all know what this is like and we all pray this way um, regularly but it's kind of the idea that you know in the church we kind of develop our own subculture and we kind of fall into these sorts of cliches and we kind of become in a sense um, over churched a great example of this came at my dinner table this week right you know it was Star Wars week this week Um, one of my wee boys says to the other one may the fourth be with you Right? And the other one says, and also with you. <laughs> okay? It's like, clearly, these kids need to stop going to church. Okay? <laughs> right? um, uh, an example of a cliche we use in prayer all the time is when we'll pray, you know, um, Lord, just grant them a hedge of protection. Okay? Now listen, don't send me emails. It's from Job. I know it's from Job. It's a great thing to pray. It's a good thing to pray. Pray that thing. However, I think we often pray it in a cliche, mindless way. You know? It's just kind of like our go-to phrase. I heard one guy talking about this, and he was like, really? Like, is a hedge the best God can do? You know? Like, how about a wall of protection? You know? Satan's going to be there kind of like, my weakness being landscaping and shrubbery. (laughs) You know? Like, (laughs) just pray. (laughs) It's a good thing to pray. I'm not (laughs) not in. I'm just saying... If you're praying protection for someone, what are you actually asking God will do? Whatever you're actually asking he'll do, ask him to do that. Ask him to do that. Pray specifically. Again, the most kind of practical advice I can give you on this is to write your prayers down. I don't know why it is, but see when you write your prayer down, vagueness and cliche just... Um, it doesn't seem to work when you write it. You know? 
it sort of it helps expose yourself a little bit. It helps kind of really make you engage heart and mind in prayer. It's also a great thing to do because at the end of each month you can kind of flick over those prayers and see how the Lord has answered. An encouraging thing to do in prayer. Pray specifically. As we close then, two quick things. First of all, friends, as a church we want to grow in this, this, this discipline of prayer and we're not assuming that we're all great at it. We're in fact assuming that most of us are pretty terrible at it and that many of us have never really prayed at all. And if you are in that position this morning, then catch the sweep of, of the points that Jesus has given us this morning. Catch the sweep of the tools that he has given us. If you've never really prayed, he's given you a very practical way to attack this. Set some time aside. What time of the day are you going to pray this week? Just this week. What time of day? Put it on your calendar. Number two, where are you going to do that? Wait, you know, decide now. Get it on your calendar. I'm going to be in this place at that time. I'm going to pray. Number three, when you get there, talk to him just like you're in relationship with him. Don't agonize over it. Don't stress over it. Just talk with him in a, in a thoughtful way. And number four, be specific. Write these thoughts down so that you can um, engage head and heart in the activity of prayer. Last thing I want to say is this. Friends, nothing makes your prayer life flourish than what? Praying. You know? Um, you can have the theory down you can have the tools in mind uh, but until you start to actually move into this discipline and pray it's not going to flourish in your heart and in your soul and that takes us right back to the very start what do we need? not necessarily more tools gospel transformation in our hearts to give us a desire to use these tools so let's pray together just now that the Lord would do that in our midst Heavenly Father, I recognize that um, there's no persuasion and there's no tool that will inflict our hearts with the desire and the passion to pray. We need uh, gospel change from the inside out that will then start to change our habits and change our disciplines and enable us to prioritize this gift that you you have given us. So, Lord, I pray that you do that, and I pray that these tools would be helpful, that we would walk in these ways that your Son has given us to, to pray regularly, to pray privately, to, to really pray thoughtfully and, and specifically. And would we, Lord, have that passion and desire to, to do so? Because as we do, Lord, we, we get more of you. The reward we seek isn't to be thought well of by others. The reward we seek is that the deep soul satisfaction of knowing and being known by the God of heaven and the God of earth. So it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen.